Welcome to the Escape Technology Podcast. I'm Jason Jenner and our guests this week are Lucy Ainsworth-Taylor and George Siddiqui, CEO, founder and CTO, respectively, of Bluebolt Visual Effects. Bluebolt is an independent visual effects company founded in 2009 with an impressive credits list that spans long-form episodic television drama and feature film. We discuss how Bluebolt was founded, Game of Thrones Series 1, and the creative and technical challenges involved in delivering VFX for today's streaming services market. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jason. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Um, so let's, Lucy, let's start with a, a bit of a history of Bluebolt. I think, you know, you're an interesting company and we've, we've been working with you for you can tell me the precise number, but I mean, I think it's I think it's in the in the realms of about ten years. Um, give us a bit of an insight as to how the company came about, when you were founded, you know, the type of projects that you worked on initially, and and, and what you do today. Uh, Jason, hi. We were founded nearly eleven years ago, so we uh, started in September two thousand and nine, right in the middle of the last recession, actually. <laughs> <laughs> We had just, uh, I had come out of uh, the moving picture company where I'd been for seven years as head of new business. And um, my business partner, Angela, was uh, on the tail end of coming out of MPC as a supervisor. And our third partner, who is no longer with us, Chaz Jarrett, um, had left already and was working as a freelance supervisor. Um, I was told by the then British Film Commissioner at the time, Colin Brown and Andy Weltman, um, that I was missing a trick and should look into opening up a visual effects facility. And I sort of looked at them aghast, thinking how on earth would I do that? Um, but went home and slept on it and thought about it. And I thought, well, the only people I would really want to start a company would be definitely with Angela Barson, because we had a very close working relationship at um, the moving picture company, but also had a huge amount of respect for Chaz and knowing that we needed sort of three sides of the triangle, as in the new business and the office management side, we needed a 2D and a 3D side. So um, sent them both individual emails asking if they would meet me for a coffee in Patisserie Valerie. And they both arrived and sort of looked at me rather strangely as they looked at each other. And I said, um, I've got a proposition. How about we three set up a company? And they sort of giggled a little bit. And I thought, is it so bizarre to ask that kind of question? Um, <laughs> and basically, I think they had been speaking to someone else about doing the same thing. and Nothing had come of it. And that conversation had been going on for about two and a half years. So I said, well, look, we've got nothing to lose. Um, pulled out my packet of cigarettes. I don't smoke now, by the way. Um, and, and flipped it over on the back of my cigarette packet. I said, um, look, so we need to put a little bit of money on the table. And this is how it will work. And, and how about it? And they went, all right. And I went away and I formed the company through Companies House about a week later and then said, look, let's start in September. Let's have at least a couple of months off before we dive into this. And um, we started on the 1st of September in 2009 with um, a website, a very, very basic website, um, two laptops, um, three of us and Chaz's lovely Labrador Cooper that used to come into the office every day. <laughs> we rented a room off the back of um, Greek Street in a post house called Pepper that no longer exists. And I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'd seen that their visual effects department had been shut down, so I knew that they had a space. Um, they did an incredibly bad deal with me, and I fell for it and paid them a fortune for uh, this back room, which I might add paid off in time. And the three of us set up. Um, Chaz was doing Sherlock Holmes for Guy Ritchie, the very first one. 
Um, Andrew and I sort of sat there on week one, just the two of us. And our lovely friend Tom Woods was supervising Prince of Persia. And he got hold of us. And a week later, we had our first shots in on that show. And we sort of limped from show to show to start with. We had initially put a little bit of money on the table, um, personally ourselves. And then when we sort of got going a little bit further down the line, a couple of weeks later, we realized we needed a render farm. So <laughs> heard via the grapevine that DNEG were getting rid of theirs. So we managed to buy a secondhand render farm for not very much money. And I remember, and I'm not sure if George, you were with us by then, we, we carried it up Wardour Street and installed it in our little room at Pepper. Um, and we sort of went from one little bit, you know, picking up shots here, picking up shots there, Angela doing them, me attempting to produce them and trying to drum up business, of, you know, to say who we were. But we really didn't have any track history apart from the fact that we'd all come out of MPC and we really knew how to do good visual effects. And um, I would say the first film that we did was a film called Burke and Hare with a director called John Landis, where Chaz was on set, I was, I was on set, Angela was on set, you know, we were all data wrangling, we were running around and we got this show together. And then a very um, good contact of mine called Mark Huffman got hold of me and said, um, I've got some execs in town from HBO coming in uh, in about two days time. Um, I want you to meet them. And I said, can you tell me what the project is? And he said, uh, not yet. And I'm, we basically um, decided, he said, whatever you do, impress them. And I said to him, I don't know how to impress HBO when there's three of us and a Labrador in a room. But <laughs> we, um, we then decided to ask a couple of friends if they would come in and sit behind um, empty monitors to try and make ourselves look a little bit bigger. <laughs> and luckily, he, this exec came in and, and changed the meeting to eight o'clock in the morning, which means we could actually just get away with it being the three of us. And um, it was for Game of Thrones. And we had no idea what that was. Um, and once we'd had a million and one phone calls, they um, sent us over the pilot that had been shot. And it already was a very good pilot. I mean, it needed a bit of help and the, and the visual effects on that had been literally slapped together. But um, several more phone calls later and meetings, um, we landed it and we were less than a year old. And wow. I don't think anyone anyone knew how big it was going to be and what it was going to entail. And um, we, uh, we, I was asked to be the visual effects producer for the whole of season one, a job I'd never done before, mind you, but I have got a, a film production background, so it wasn't too difficult to step into it. Um, Angela was one of the supervisors alongside um, Adam McInnes. And I decamped to Belfast for six months. Um, Angela was left back in the room at Pepper. And um, we slowly had to start building the team. By this stage, George had joined us and was sort of helping us cobble together something. But then there was obviously quite a big ramp up. Um, we had no money. We've never borrowed a penny. We, I, I managed to wrangle a payment schedule out of HBO that would allow for some money to get paid at the beginning before we got going and that was the money that really helped you know start putting the company together we found our premises in margaret street which we only left which we'll talk about a bit later we only left about four days ago the, the basement that we um started in <laughs> and um <laughs> and off we went and i went off to belfast where we shot for six months and i flew back 
pretty much every week on a Friday to see how the building of the offices were going. George was very entrenched with someone that we brought in to help put it all together. And um, and I'm, I'm very, very proud of what we've achieved, specifically with the people that have helped us get there, you know, George being a very, very key person of that. But I think to have set up a visual effects company with no funding at all, um, Angela and I went without a salary for the first two years. Um, I lived on my per diems. Um, not sure what she lived on, to be honest. But um, <laughs> that's by the stage, was still very much our third partner. But he was working um, independently and, and taking his own salary. Um, so yeah, that was really how we started. So what's you know? Let's just track back a bit there. I mean, that's it's quite an interesting you know origin story that you guys have as a business. I mean, what I I wasn't clear actually before we started this conversation as to whether or not you had a an established production history with HBO, but it doesn't sound like you did. It sounds like the, the Game of Thrones series one was the first, you know, the first bit of work you did for them. I, I wonder whether you'd had a, a previous relationship when you were at NPC, but it doesn't sound like you did. Um, what do you think persuaded them to go with you guys, given that you were so early in your, uh, in your setup and there were, you know, so few of you and at Blue Bolt, at Blue Bolt per se didn't have a huge track record at the time. Was it just the quality of, you know, your reputation and Angela? What do you think swung it for them? No, I, honestly, um, I think it helped that we had Chaz, and I think Chaz was our sprinkling of gold dust because he'd been Oscar nominated, and I think HBO love anyone who's been anywhere near an award. Right. I would say it's absolutely down to Mark Huffam, who was the producer of season one, saying these people can do it, and Holly Schiffer, who was the head of post at HBO, doing almost an FBI check on me. Um, it was quite interesting to see how many people <laughs> phoned me up afterwards and said, she hasn't left a stone unturned on you. Um, <laughs> and I said to her, I was very clear to her, I said, Holly, I've never, I've never visual effects produced before. And she said, but I know you can do it. So I probably tried to talk myself out of the job for the first few weeks. And then I thought, <laughs> I actually need the work. So, uh, but I had no idea what the scale of it was going to be. And then you, you said before, Lucy, that you, you know, I hadn't done that job before was a comment you made a minute ago, which what's the distinction you're making between that that work and the work that you've been doing at MPC? How, what, what's the difference between the two? OK, so when I was at MPC, um, I started off as head of new business and yeah. um, it was all about sort of drumming up the work that was coming along. I had a nickname there, uh, Lady Lunch a lot, because I used to have to take clients <laughs> every lunch. <laughs> um, and I was, you know, always swanning around Soho in some different restaurant. Um, and what happened is I, because I had such a strong production background, I had come from being a freelancer where I'd worked my way up the production chain. Um, I really knew how it worked on set. I really understand the fundamentals of putting a film together. Right. So visual effects was just sort of, you know, a corner of it that actually turned out to be quite a straightforward job, I found. I found the politics far harder. Mm -hmm. um, but it was something, A, I'd never done before. I think the fact that I was producing this show that was going at breakneck speed, you know, we I had six weeks prep for a 10-hour show. I mean, that's unheard of. I then started with episodes three and four because the directors for one and two weren't available. We did everything out of order. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a massive production, and I've been on 101 film sets, but I have never been on a, um, a television set that made a film look so small fry. We had every gadget. We had multiple units. Um, it was it was so exciting, but it was at breakneck speed that we shot six, uh, six months in Belfast and in Malta, but we started posting probably in the last 
two and a half months of filming, we were starting to post the, the earlier episodes. And then we had, once we'd finished filming, we had four months to deliver. And that is, I've never come across a schedule that fast until a show we've literally just finished was that quick. But this was, right. this, this was very, very fast. They already had an air date. Um, you know, we were, they were airing in April and we had finished filming at Christmas. Wow. And George, let's, let's talk about your kind of history here as well a little bit. You, I think you'd come from NPC too, hadn't you, originally before Blue Bolt, was that right? Yes, kind of indirectly, not as directly. Um, so yes, I was NPC uh, and had left uh, to go and work at UNIT and then from UNIT um, I got a call or an email, I think, from Lucy mm-hmm. asking to, to meet up um, and it was very kind. So the, the person who helped Lucy um, carry those DNEG servers was Tom Cowland, who, who had started out at Blue Bolt as a sort of the first sort of technical hire and he was uh, very kind to put my name forward for the role. And I was very happy to sort of move on from my previous role. And uh, and it just seemed like a perfect fit. So I, I came in sort of a, in the first couple of months, I guess, first few months. Mm. And then it was, you know, there's a, there was a bit of a, uh, a base set up by Tom. He, does, he, did a, he does everything well. So he did a really good job of getting things working in a, in a really basic render farm, but kind of, all working and some of it was some of the bits and pieces you can still see it knocking about in use on uh in blue bolt today even if you look around um and yeah so so yeah so sitting in sitting in an office with john landis and broken hair that was kind of that was kind of surreal moment for me especially that was my first surreal moment at blue bolt Gravediggers, I think, Birkin Hair. not you two, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's a grave, grave digger story, yeah. I think, isn't it? Yeah. Diggers, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. And um, so for you, George, presumably the, the kind of, you know, the, the attraction was partly to shape something to be in at the beginning, and it was going to be a, you know, you'd probably come out of a, a, an engineering team, had you, and you were looking for a, what would potentially be a route to CTO. Is that, is that what appealed to you? Um, yeah, I think I'd... Maybe I was already doing something similar at the at the previous place, um, but this was this was a chance to sort of do it from scratch and, like I said, you know, make it make it more my own in some ways, um, as well as you know whatever you put put out. If it's broken, it's your fault, right? But if it's good, then you know that you can take responsibility for it as well, both the good and the bad. So that was really great because they because um, Lucy and Angela have been super supportive. Um, in ensuring that if we needed something, you know, it's not like they they were backed by some enterprise or they had they had money coming from elsewhere. They made this all out of their own money. But they, yeah. if we needed something, we, we could get it. It would just be like maybe not this week, maybe it'd been a couple of weeks, but we will get it and we won't cut corners. And that was that was a huge relief having having been having been in some different environments which are a lot more stressful because there isn't um, the the, un- the understanding that certain things have to be in place just to be able to sort of sleep at night. Yeah. So sure. it's been been a really nice journey and really nice to be part of a company that supports you in that and and can make things happen and can kind of respond and understand that if you're asking you know if you're asking for something, it's usually for a good reason. Um, yeah, and that's that's been great. And I think you know you've you've as 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 Escape Technology have seen that that probably the case because you've supported us through this as well especially in the early days you kind of helped us out um but you can see that we weren't we weren't trying to cut corners we were trying to do things properly 
Yeah, sure, sure. Well, that's yeah, that's really interesting. I think um, we'll look, we'll track back to um, Game of Thrones in a minute and and the impact of that on the the well on Blue Bolt and also on the the wider VFX sector because I think that's an interesting point to pick up on. But in terms of Blue Bolt today, then I mean, since since those early days, where where have you gone in terms of growth and size and sort of mix of projects? How would you describe the the, uh, the facility today? Um, <clears throat> we we um. We were, we were quite rare when we set up because back in 2009, there, there were very minimal visual effects going on on television, but we always wanted to do both. We saw a gap in the market because when we'd been at the moving picture company, we were doing these big, massive Hollywood blockbusters and the lower, the lower budgeted film, I mean, not low budget, I mean, up to about 30 million were being skipped over and they were... They didn't have huge visual effects budgets of you know the tens of millions. They you know they had much smaller budgets and they were being they were being sort of brushed aside for the big ones, which I can totally understand in a big facility. And this is where we saw a gap in the market. We thought, hang on, we need London needs a visual effects company that will do television and films that aren't all encompassing you know massive factory machines. So we always wanted to do television to start with. We had no idea that the biggest thing that was going to kick us off was a television show. Yeah. Um, We've always dipped our toe in the water with television and it's got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and obviously now it's, it's bigger than film. Um, so I think the fact that Game of Thrones was such a baptism of fire of how high end television works and the speed of that show is something that we really we, we, we made it work and we really understood it. So when a show comes in now, we really know how to hit the ground running and we know when to say, you know, that's impossible or absolutely we can do that. Um, and um, I've gone off the I've gone off piece a bit, haven't I? Well, it's okay. I've I've got an interesting question actually to interject with there because I think I mean I know the answer to this, but I, I think people listening would be interested. So you know, it was a very successful project for you guys, Game of Game of Thrones series one, but you didn't do series two, and I think you know it would have been I think almost a, a shoe in that you would have been offered it, but I think you chose not to do it. Can you talk a little bit about that and and what what the decision making was there? We did choose not to do it, and they were speaking to us about it. And, 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 you know, they understood that we were a very newly formed company. And we, by the time we finished Game of Thrones, we, we got to the size of about 30. Mm -hmm. And in order to see, or, or in order to actually tackle season two, I couldn't have run a company and been a visual effects producer, which is what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Angela couldn't take her eye off the ball and become a supervisor, which is what they wanted. But we also realized that, you know, the the dragons were growing the the effects of um you know ships at sea and all of the stuff was far bigger than what we could handle as a smaller company so we literally put our hands up in the air and i think it's quite rare we were really honest with them and said we would let you down we wouldn't be able to pull this out of the bag for you we can see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you know what by the time i think they got to season three they were already using 10 vendors the time they finished on season eight, it had gone out to 20 vendors. So I'm right. really proud that we did season one where we were 90%. We did 90% of the work and we had a little company in Ireland called Screen Scene who picked up probably 10% of the work. And we knew that we'd, we were proud of what we delivered. And yes, we got Emmy nominated and we probably should have won because I was told at the Emmys, you should have won and it will win every year from here on in. Scorsese is going to win because it's his last show and, and it, it, yours will win there. And, and they were absolutely right. But, you know, to get that recognition to a company that was then by then, we were 18 months old by the time we finished, was just incredible and really put us on the map in Hollywood. And it was suddenly, this was interesting. This was an interesting little company. And, and 
we never knew this was going to happen so quickly. So we, we were very, very lucky to have got that show, but we delivered it. And just to reiterate, I mean, you landed Game of Thrones, what, within the first six months of Blue Bolt being in business? Yeah, we started in September and we had landed Game of Thrones by April. Yeah, so it's very, very early, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a really interesting story. And I think it's incredibly, um, as you say, unusual that you would turn down the opportunity to do Series 2 in such an honest fashion, because I think in, in, in any business, actually, the, the tendency is always just to say yes to everything. Exactly. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, everybody who's who's watched the series obviously knows how that developed from a from a creature effects point of view, and obviously that would have taken things in a different direction. Um, but um, I mean, would you say today that your your kind of mix of projects is it, what's the percentage mix between, say, feature work and sort of long form episodic sort of TV work? Um, I think after Game of Thrones, so this, we're going back ten years. We then probably were more sort of seventy five percent film and twenty five percent television because we then went on to do um, Snow White and the Huntsman, and at the same time we were doing um, Great Expectations for the BBC, which we won our BAFTA for. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it suddenly made a lot of um, British television sit up and go, "This is really interesting." Um, I've got a lot of clients off the back of um, Great Expectations because they watched how we'd slightly changed the way visual effects were approached in television. We just took all our film knowledge. We don't treat any project any differently, whether it's film or television, it gets that same slick look. So I get really upset now when I see bad visual effects out there because it's 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 not called for. Um, but now I would say then we went to becoming 50-50. And then I would say in the last two or three years, it's probably 90% television and less film. We love films, but they're, they're far and few between little independent films and they do have tiny tiny budgets so you know i'm I, i'm running a business so if, if a film comes in and it's got a tiny budget you think you know what i've got to i've got to feed all 90 staff that we had pre-covid we've, we've got to keep this show running so we have to be quite careful which shows we do take on so you know we, we do a lot of sort of due diligence before we go into them especially with you know the budgets and who's attached to them yeah yeah sure that makes sense um George, tell me a little bit about the technology setup at Bluebolt then. So, you know, what are the core applications? I mean, I, I imagine they're a fairly um, predictable mix of kind of, you know, VFX applications, but, you know, infrastructure um, applications set up. What's the, what's the general pipeline structure for you? Yeah, I think we're sort of, we run a, a similar sort of template to a lot of visual effects companies that you probably deal with now in, in the sense that you guys use Pixstore. Mm -hmm. um, you sell Pixel. You sell Pixel to us. Um, yeah, we've we we came from MPC, so a lot of the the ideas came from from what we learned there. So uh, everything's Linux and Mac. Um, we have shared storage, distributed storage. We we're using, like I said, Pixel now, but previously we used Nixenter, and before that we used um, sort of standard InfraTrend with NFS servers. As yeah. NFS servers in the kind of the old school kind of way, which on Snow White and Huntsman, when we were sort of there till sort of five in the morning, which almost never has has never happened at Blue Bolt since. We just don't. That's the great one of the great things about Blue Bolt is that in our tech team, I think our pipeline guys have worked one weekend. I've probably worked a few more because we have to sort of do um, some kind of uh, you know, maintenance and stuff like that out, out of hours. You know, so that has to happen. But you know. That was the that was that was Snow White and the Huntsman was when we were so saying how we needed to move to a stronger sort of file system, distributed file system to be able to to take the sort of the randomness of 
who's going to be rendering when and, and you know, making sure that it's all, all, all spread out nicely and, and can take the load. So we moved to Accenture, and Accenture, on the face of it, was actually a really, on the face of it, was a very good system. Yeah, um, it's LFS-based, I think, isn't it, at file system level? Yeah, yeah, so it's all Solaris. I mean, what, whatever was Solaris before, um, yeah. and, you know, where that, where, where that, all that stuff that came out of Sun um and got put into what was quite a nice package but uh, it was reliable but it wasn't necessarily very well polished and you had some mm -hmm. real horror stories of other companies using next center um and having spent a lot of money to to get you know first class support um and then being left in left in the left in the lurch uh quite often um and having some serious serious issues and outages and and just no sort of backup so it was like why are we spending all this money yes it has been reliable but it's a bit of a black box which um so a bit of a loss of confidence in that towards the end of that period yeah i mean like i said we, mm. luckily we didn't have any serious problems um but we heard of other people and we were like we can't go we can't continue with this what can we do so we, we started talking to you again and we were actually evaluated pick store against next center in the first round and our only concern was that pixel was you know, quite new then, wasn't it? Really, exactly. And is it a bit like, uh, you know, we had Barry and uh, we met him, and we kind of got the feeling that they were just a little bit too small. And what would happen if something happened to Barry? Would we be left in the lurch? And that's why we chose an extent because we felt they were more like an established enterprise. But I think we got, we got, we probably made the wrong mistake at that. You made made a mistake at that point because Pixel has obviously gone from strength to strength. Well, they, uh, they, they have, but I mean, I think that I think that rationale's fairly sound. I mean, they were a smaller company; they were they they were perhaps more unproven than the Next Center were at that stage. You know, Next Center had quite a lot of investment in them at that point, and um, and they had captured some 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 sizable customers in the market. I think NPC were using it in part of their infrastructure at, at one point. So, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's not yeah, yeah I think they, yeah. I mean, that's actually where, where we heard about it first mm. because we, you know, we still have a good relationship with some of the people that work there. And, and it was, you know, it was reliable, like reliable when it worked and when it didn't work was when you had real problems, you know, when, you know, how to follow those up. And I think they, they probably got burnt a little bit by that. I heard they had a problem too. Um, so we, we started talking to you about Pickstore and it, it just yeah. went from, it became a very natural fit for us to, well, Pixstore was we were evaluating Pixstore against um, EMC, sorry Dell, um, Isilon. Isilon, yeah. And you know, to give them their dues, Isilon brought their prices right down to sort of you know they were they were they were really sort of keen to win our business. Um, but we'd had such good things, and Pixstore was becoming so much more established at that point that we really wanted to to go with a company that understood visual effects better. And yeah. Was, Building, building solutions to help companies like us because they understood our workflow, because they hired people from our industry, um, as opposed to Dell, who would be trying to make it work, because but they'd have to buy things in uh, and sort of bolt them onto their solution to make it look like it was something that was designed to work with visual effects. Yeah, well, there's um, always that, I think, I think with, with infrastructure products a little bit, which is, you know, is it, is it a, do you, are you trying, do you have a product and you're trying to sell that product uh, and, and kind of fit it around someone's workflow, or do you, do you have a do you have a product that naturally fits around that workflow? You know, and I think Pixel was the latter, wasn't it? And I think that's ultimately what you decided. And they had you know they had the advantage of being born out of, of media. I think they were sort of started yeah. as a project in Belgium, didn't they? And it was it was from a from a media angle in the first place. They knew what it was to deal with large file sizes, and um, and it and to be fair, we, we, there were some wobbles at the beginning with Pixel, which 
you know, which we were, you know, as you're starting out, it needed a bit more tuning. But the but the beauty of it was was that we could pick up the phone and speak to somebody, and they would be on it. And so we yeah. ironed those out relatively quickly, and we just had confidence that we that somebody was holding our hand a little bit when there were when we were in the middle of a you know having a new new piece of storage, which you can't you know I oh, will just switch it over to this. We just that's all we had, um, and you know we just needed to make sure that it was going to be working. The problem was going to be solved in a couple of hours, not a couple of days. That's kind of sort of. Uh, and, and and we had confidence in them that they were doing that and that that they were on it. Um, yeah, and we've I mean we've um we've 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 dived hardcore storage here straight away, which is sorry, sorry, is, yeah, no, it's, it's it's fine. I mean, but let's let's roll with that for a second. I think um I mean we're talking about quite a sizable estate, aren't we? I mean, yours. I think you're pushing sort of half a petabyte almost or something in your in your primary storage for Pixel, aren't you? Somewhere somewhere around that level. A little bit more, I think, probably right. around eight hundred terabytes, and okay, then wow. we yeah. and then we then we repurposed our next center for um, the the chassis to be able to use that as a backup, which seems a bit maybe over the top, but it just it made sense financially at the time, and we sort of put a deal together around that and getting the, the benefit of syncing back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's just made that, that a problem that we don't have to deal with that we don't we're not you know we're getting our backups really quickly. Um, so that's that's the core of it, I guess. Um, but we're using, you know, Supermicro uh, Render Farm. We're, we're we're rendering in Arnold. We're using uh, Maya, Houdini, um, Nuke, Mari, Photoshop, yeah. um, Speedtree. Yeah, so. And are you are you? I mean, my my recollection really the last time that we spoke in and detail about stuff was that you were you were probably more two D than three D. Um, in that there was a greater sort of compositing uh, emphasis than there was, say, 3D. Is that still the case, or do you think it's more a, more of an even split now? I think there was a period when 3D had really sort of bulked up, and we it was kind of almost growing. Would you say, Lucy, to sort of not quite the size of 2D, but it was it was ca catching up at yeah. one stage. Yeah, it, very much so. I mean, it, we 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 predominantly started mainly as a 2D house, um, and we and we've gently sort of taken on our 3D side quite carefully, apart from the dragons at the beginning. Um, but, you know, we're, we're cautiously stepping around and environments are our thing. But pre-COVID, I mean, I would say our 3D team was getting quite close to the same size as 2D. Um, I would like to say post-COVID, it will be back there. But I'm, you know, we'll talk about what's going on a bit later down the line. But yes, 3D is getting far, far bigger with us now. Yeah. Okay. So it's a much more even split. And I, I, I want to come back to the technical implications of some of this long form, long form um, television work in a minute. But um, so we cover Game, Game of Thrones, and obviously, you know, you just described Lucy that you, you know, you were at probably seventy percent, seventy thirty now in terms of the split between sort of long form episodic TV and film. So, what's your view on the influx of streaming services work and and the way that television has has kind of dominated in, I mean, certainly from my point of view, in terms of our, our relationship with studios and the work that we do, we've seen more and more customers, you know, working on those types of projects and they've become, you know, bigger and more complex. I mean, do you have any particular views on what that's doing to the industry? And, um, you know, how do you, is there, is there something specific you do to, to orientate your business towards that type of work? No, I would say, I mean, it's really, I would say in the last sort of year, uh, it's now every big facility in London, probably a bit longer, every facility in London of the big four or five have now got television departments. Yeah. You know, we were sort of gung-ho out on the TV from the word go. DNEG then sort of came 
came next off the block probably about five years later, but now everyone's doing it. And I think the, I think it's going to just keep growing. I also think that we were all kind of going, oh, there's too much content being made, but now look, it's completely depleted. Um, I also think that, um, you know, the likes of Apple TV and all these places, none of these places were in production over a year and a half ago, and they're all coming in now. So if anything, I think it's an incredibly exciting time. Um, you know, they're, they're attracting the top stars. People get longer time to tell their stories. They do films as well. So it's just those massive big blockbusters in the cinema that used to dominate aren't dominating anymore within our world. You know, it's it's right across the board and we can all handle, you know, multiple TV shows going through at the same time. So I just think I just think the future is very, very bright. And I think um, we need more visual effects artists in London. We need a few more companies probably popping up. Um, so I'm very optimistic about the future. Yeah. OK. So, um I mean, that's what I thought you'd say. And when you say, you know, the, the content's been depleted, presumably you mean because everybody's watched everything <laughs> over the last four months. And you know what's happened is, you know, a lot of the shows, you know, we, we work on this television show called The, um, the Last Kingdom, which is um, a, a Viking, a fantastic Viking series. Yeah. And initially it was the BBC, and then they sort of pulled out after season two or three. Then it went to Netflix. And then during lockdown, it sort of became one, number, one of their best shows. So automatically the next seasons are renewed. There could be another one off the back of that. And I think what's happening is a lot of the shows that might not have been seen on Netflix because there was too much content are all now getting, you know, all getting the recognition that they, sh that they should get. Um, you know, it, we, we are as, you know, we were completely impacted by the kind of writing that's coming out and I think if anything this downtime has allowed so many writers to be able to come up with more stuff that I mean you can't you can't but be optimistic about what's ahead yeah okay and what about um sort of delivering those shows I mean um, this is probably a question for you George actually I mean it, it seems like uh, you know the information that I that, that feeds back to me from the studios we work with is that a lot of that work's now being shot in you know, much higher resolution than previously, um, 4K and above, new cameras, um, and some of those streaming services insist on the delivery at that level. Is that having an impact on you technically um, from the workflow point of view and the, the technical delivery? Yes. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we bought uh, the storage that we've got is because that was uh, the tsunami of data that we knew we were going to be getting. Yeah. Um, we've also been, you know, lucky that we we're, we're smaller and we're more agile and um angela is not afraid to say you know you can delete this this can go offline now because you know she's got eyes she, ha she has had eyes across everything uh, you know in the in the earlier days having somebody could go we're not we're running out of space can we do something about it and like yes we can as opposed to no someone else someone else will make a decision about that and then and then it just locks up <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. um so but yeah but for sure so i think the first was the first netflix show that we did was that the night manager no that was amc uh oh sorry um i have no idea what the first one was but it was it was one of our 4k shows i believe and we worked on that at a lower resolution and upscaled and that was kind of trying to be smart about it and you put the two images side by side and you wouldn't be able to tell which one was which but you're right the the all the you know the the likes of Netflix would would say um, if we if we're charging people for for 4K, then they need to be shot at 4K and they need to be worked on at 4K. So we've had 
you know, we've, we've been learning sort of the other ways of working around that at the moment, um, using proxies, for example, um, and trying to, yeah, trying to find smarter ways of working with 4K. Yeah. Um, it's presumably had a big impact on the data set as well. So if you're receiving, um, you know, lots and lots of 4K footage, it's going to consume a lot more space on your storage than, you know, the lower yeah. resolution material. I mean, we're trying to we're trying to be much smarter with that, and we're we're writing some new publishing tools at the moment. Um, yeah. We'll end up, uh, we you know, one of the, the approaches will be just being a lot more ruthless about what we keep online. You know, what needs to be kept online. Um, so that's that that's definitely. I mean, eight, the the idea of eight K is just insanity, really. Like it's. Uh, but you know there are some some things that are being being done that way. Uh, it's on our horizon. There are some t there are some TVs that do that now. So I wonder I wonder whether whether we'll ever see an 8K show at Blue Bolt. But I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So um, Lucy, you mentioned the dreaded COVID nineteen a few minutes ago. Um, uh, I mean, we've had lots of conversations on the podcast with studios and how they've dealt with that. But but for you guys, what's it meant in terms of you know? Um, everybody working from home, is that how you've, you've managed, you know, Teradici technology and that kind of thing? And what do you, what do you think it's going to do to the business for the time being, you know, the, the, the actual work coming in? Well, to be honest, Jason, um, we were, we were going full tilt when, when Boris told us all to go home. Mm -hmm. um, George and his team got people set up in record breaking time. I mean, it was unbelievable how fast we had to move and we were in the middle of delivering a show for um mcr called the great with Elfa, uh, l fanning and nicholas holt and it was one of those really crazy fast post schedules but you know they had to get their show in in for the emmys in time and when they we had no let up so you know everyone pulled together um and then what's happened is obviously we're starting to slow down now as i think most of london is but we're incredibly lucky that we've already got a film that started filming um a week ago um and we are going to start it's a big film for us and it, the preview on that will start in September. Um, so we, we realized that 2D was getting very, very quiet. So we've kept on a core team of compositors, but sadly had to let some really, really brilliant people go who we will definitely bring back um, the minute we pick up again in January. So I'd say we've probably had to reduce our staff size by about, you know, 33%. Mm -hmm. um, we are a healthy company. We um, have asked most people to um, do a couple of reduced weeks. Um, there's only one person I've asked to take a pay cut on proviso. I'll give them the money back. Mm -hmm. um, we're using the furlough scheme, which has really been incredibly helpful to us. But um, we're going to be fine. We've also um, moved our machine room offsite, um, and that happened and got completed today. Am I correct, George? Yeah, I think there's one last cable to be connected, and then that will sync our backups between two different data centers. So, yeah, that that was a uh, last couple of weeks and the last few months of planning, um, really from beginning of COVID, when you were looking at what we were going to do and what the plan was. I think I'd say that was probably 12 weeks ago, 16 weeks ago, between that sort of time, and we we're now. Um, yeah, we're now we're now our machine room is fully out of our basement and our basement will be handed back to the landlords um so yeah so we're now able wow. to say that yeah that's quite, that was, quite that, a big development so you're now fully all technology out and at a data center co-location 
Yeah. Yeah. Apart wow. from our workstations and our firewall yeah. at the moment, which is okay. yeah, just a cost decision at the moment. But yeah. uh but yeah, we are our machine room is out. So we we now have the we're using Vertis and Volta. Uh, yeah. and our and our backup system is at Volta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a 10 gig point to point between the two. So yeah, yeah. so that's really that's a really nice thing. We I've been sort of talking about it for probably five years, like about some kind of plan to get our backups to that location. Um, and it's and it's happened. So that's a really nice, really nice that we managed to do it. And I think it's going to really give us a lot more flexibility. Does that mean that you're going to be Boris biking between, you know, Margaret Street and various data centres, George, as you need to go and facilitate things technically? I think I might, I might be investing in an electric scooter. <laughs> 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 very good okay so you've taken the you've, you've taken the plunge to do that and what so that's you know that's that's really interesting and obviously we've 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 spoke to lots of our studio partners recently about um covid crisis making them rethink you know the cost of real estate uh, fundamentally but is that what was driving it for you lucy that decision to do that was it a cost basis honestly what 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 we pay in rent in soho and the way we're treated by our landlords and what we get for what we're paying it, we had it was like a ball and chain yeah. so when we put this proposition to George 12 weeks ago um, it was because we had a lease coming to its end our basement lease was, was running out and we also had a break clause on another floor and we thought now is the only time we're ever going to have a little bit of a lull you know we can say to clients there's nothing happening on this Friday and you might be uh, might be a problem on the Monday but we did the whole machine room over the a weekend with you know the Friday and the Monday so we've we've shared half our um, office space. We will always keep the front. We've still got obviously two floors that we're and keeping a front end in Soho. But now this allows us the freedom to look for our second premises from January, when hopefully commercial property prices are coming to a bit more of a realistic value than what we've been paying. Um, but also we've got a lot of artists who've worked incredibly well from home and want to be able to come in, you know, from time to time. And obviously if they've got to come in for dailies or whatever it might be. So I think we're actually going to run with three three different ways. We're going to have Margaret Street. We're going to have another place where we have enough um, seating for, you know, another 60 or 70 people. And we've got enough space in Margaret Street for, you know, 40 or 50 people. And then we can have um, people working from home. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna run all three. Um, and I couldn't think of a better time to be able to take this opportunity to, you know, shift it all out. And, you know, was, you know, Andrew and I bashed it backwards and forwards. And it was kind of like what we'll save in rent for the rest of the year is what's going to cost us to move this machine room. So it's a no brainer. Let's do it. Yeah. OK. Amazing. So and do you think, you know, again, it's a hot topic at the moment, but do you think that, the, you know, the landscape of visual effects companies and their setups are, are going to gradually change over the next you know, six months or a year as, as more and more companies do what you're doing? Well, I can only speak for ourselves. I really do think, you know, we're a creative, we're a creative um, environment. We, we all need to be together. We all need to bash ideas around. You need to go through things. I think you're always going to need a base where people can be. But I definitely think that sort of remote working can tie in with that as well. Um, and also clients, you know, clients want to come in, they want to sit in a the cinema, they want to have face-to-face meetings. So you can't just completely be totally remote, but I think you can definitely, you know, work side by side with it. Um, and also, you know, we, luckily, finally, we have an aging visual effects workforce and a lot of them have families and a lot of them live, you know, Canterbury and beyond. And you know that they're grown ups and they're going to sit behind their desk at work and they're going to deliver and stick to a schedule. And you think if it helps them and it saves them on the commute, let's make it work. Yeah, I think we've we've definitely had people on the podcast, you know, um, 
engineers and technical people actually saying that you know they can see they can see when people are logging on how much work they're doing under the uh, you know throughout the last four months and the general picture has been that people work the same if not longer hours actually um mm. you know and or, or or the same amount of hours but in a more flexible fashion that you know befits the fact they might have kids or they've got to walk the dog or whatever it is but um so yeah it does feel that that's all changing and we've had you know lots and lots of conversations with our with our partners who are you know, looking at ways to do what you've just done. But again, it's interesting that you guys seem to have made that decision very quickly, enacted it very quickly and, you know, reaping the rewards. It's, you know, it's sort of speaks to your agility as a business really, doesn't it? And Lucy made, Lucy made the call, sorry, uh, Lucy made the call very quickly about ordering sort of 15 teradicis, then another 15 teradicis and that, you know, happened within a few days. And that's not a small amount of money just to spend like that, especially when you're going into a crisis. Um, <laughs> But luckily, you guys were able to supply them, um, and we got them up and running. And we had it was like a getting the company out was a whole team effort. Everybody, everybody was was had a hand in getting people into taxis with with kits. You know, everybody, everybody just just got got on board with the idea that just this had to happen. Yeah, within twenty four hours, or within forty eight hours, and I'm sure lots of other companies have had similar stories. But it was it was really like lovely to see what people could do when they really put their minds together, you know. Another sort of tech question, George, what what have you done about the kind of artist end of that of that workflow? So, you know, most people listening, I think, will be of a of a tech, you know, savvy disposition. So we'll we'll know what Teradici is. You know, it's a it's a remote workstation uh, delivery technology. Um, you know, but it presupposes that you've got a workstation possibly in the studio or in a data center and that you're using that technology to, to deliver, you know, pixel display, you know, down, down, a, down an internet connection to an artist who might be, well, they could be anywhere. Um, but they do need some technology at the other end in order to decode that signal. So have you had a standardization in terms of what you've provided people with, or has it been a question of, you know, so-and-so's got a decent laptop, they're okay, or this guy hasn't got anything, we need to provide him with something? I think we've got a couple of people who are, yeah, so, the majority and what we've been aiming for and what we actually would have done more across the board if they were available at the time i think we couldn't get our hands on enough units was to do teradici with, mm -hmm. with the tens of units that you you guys recommended um they kept selling out. <laughs> yeah. so exactly yeah kept really selling out at the moment yeah <clears throat> i mean and you were saying uh, and then then there's hprgs which is an amazing solution that comes for free because all of our all of our h all of our workstations are from hp so using it as been, well that was yeah. We've got we've got a fair number of artists. I would say I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many. Probably eight or nine artists working that way, and a couple of tech people working that way too. Quite a few, most of our tech people working that way, which seems to be working really well for people too. Um, we're using two-factor authentication to sort of help us with um, locking things down. You know, um, yeah. There was there was, and it, and, it, and it speaks volumes. As we, as, as you and I both know, how 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 lovely it is to work in this industry when people just help each other out. So, yeah. studio sysadmins, um, and then just uh, what's the um, the uh, there's the website. Sorry, the the studio sysadmins um, forum. You mean the studio sysadmins? Yeah, but they've got a they've got a Slack Slack chat, haven't they? So they've got oh, loads right, of stuff yeah. on their security yeah. channels, and then then there were a couple of uh visual effects bodies who whose name escaped me right now who just started putting together google docs with information and mm. just sharing what well, we've learned this issue about this thing in fact i mean we were having such a big problem with uh the dithering issue on teradici that we just started scratching our head we didn't know what to do we were just trying to get things up and running but people's machines were literally grinding to a halt and we we're like we just don't know why 
and it was an artist who had spoken to somebody working at i believe dean egg and just heard on the grapevine that this was a solution that they'd rolled out and it's and it saved the day because we had people that were just they were set up working from home they had a computer they could just about log in and then they were like the machine would crunch and it was crunched grind to a halt sorry and it was it was down to the fact that somebody you know spoke to somebody that we had something that could get us working and by by the following day we had everybody kind of solved and people working wasn't even just that one of our one of our supervisors set up a uh, hangouts group where there were just lots of information going back and forth and people we were we were under a lot of pressure to get things kind of out but we weren't really obviously providing that much support we were just trying to get things out so they were kind of supporting each other and there's that wonderful internal community of people helping each other writing documentation and you know, just going above and beyond um, to help each other out. Uh, it was it was great. It was lovely to watch. Yeah, there was a sense, I think, generally, wasn't there, across the industry of people just sort of, you know, there was a community drive, people helping each other out with information and support. And, um, you know, we saw that in two directions, you know, from our suppliers to us and from us to others, you know, to, to the companies we supply. There was there was very much, I, I, I felt anyway, there was a definite sense of everybody putting together, certainly in the early throes of... Of what became a you know a full lockdown eventually um um just to pick up on one of that i've got a couple of things i want to talk about guys before we wrap up um just picking up on the the, the data center and the co-location decisions that you you made i, I just want to ask you george what your thoughts are uh, and also lucy as well on the cost side you know what your thoughts are about cloud technology because you know it's interesting that you've gone you know, you've, you've, you've relocated your, your key infrastructure, as it were, but in terms of render and all works and all workstations, you know, have you looked at cloud technology? Is it something you'd consider using? Um, if not, why not? You know, what are your thoughts around that, George? So we have, um, we use Deadline. We bought, we bought Deadline uh, in after using Grid Engine. Yeah. And we have been using uh, AWS on and off for some projects to, you know, Probably to the tune of not that many machines. We're not we're not sort of renting sort of thousands of machines, but definitely yeah. uh, up to a sort of a hundred machines. Um, and so yeah, on the render side, it's kind of like a proven, tested solution, especially for being able to get a lot of you know get us through certain crunch points. Um, and then as far as storage, you know, we were doing some initial in the very early stages of this project when we were working out costs between different colo locations. We were looking at um cloud storage and we you know this was what i was saying before is we need to be smarter about what we keep online and what we back up because at the moment we just kind of back up almost everything apart from yeah. some caches and when you do all of that and you've got um 800 terabytes of usable and one point something terabytes uh, petabytes of backup that becomes really expensive in the cloud you know on a monthly basis it, yeah. it feels yeah. really expensive and it's only i think until you I think it, the 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 cost exercises are going to be a lot clearer now. Now we know what it costs us to store things in a in a data center. We're sort of looking at the energy costs and we're looking at the the the, the rental cost of keeping it in. You know the 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 monthly recurring costs. So now we can kind of do a comparison and compare that to cloud sort of more uh, more directly. I think we'll yeah. have a better understanding of those things. Um, and I'm sure that it's going to be not that long before most things will just end up in the cloud out of the box you know like it's it, we are we are going that way i think it's yeah 
I think from the conversations where we were, you know, how long it took cloud rendering to happen, you know, we were talking about it such a long time ago and it just took so long for some of the nuances of uh, getting the licensing correct and, um, you know, where is it going to live? Who's going to, who's going to provide it? Where are you allowed to do it? Not to mention the security around everything to do with the MPAA. Um, obviously all of that has been changed since MPC sort of did it properly on, on the jungle book. Um, and I think storage is the next thing for us where we, if we were to do it from scratch again in a new company, if we didn't have, if we didn't have this investment, we would be looking at ways to make that work, I think. Right. Okay. So you, you think potentially there is an outcome where most things are cloud. You, you don't necessarily think that, you know, a mix of the two is, is always likely to persist. I think eventually it won't be the case. Eventually it will be the cloud. Yeah. In my opinion. As just because it's going, it's going it's going in that direction and the prices will drop eventually and it means that you know uh, i think one of the questions you know one of the things we talked about is it, it does allow anybody who to win a project to some degree and if they've got the talent if they can find the talent to make it happen then the technology becomes less of a barrier if it's just a kind of the simpler it gets in the future which it will do i mean at the moment you still need to understand a lot about how the storage works even if you're going into the cloud and how things will scale um but i think if we look at like pick store in the cloud that's kind of you can press a button and make 10 terabytes of storage appear that's yeah. kind of okay it's not completely ready to go you still need to do some stuff to connect to it and to make it happen but yeah. you know it's almost it's almost that way isn't it yeah, as the tools develop and become more sophisticated and the pipeline becomes easier to engineer and as that cost base moves in, in a favourable direction on cloud compute, then yeah, what you're saying I think is right. Um, Especially when you can turn things off and on at night, you know, where you can say, well, at the weekend I don't need to be using this. Um, and so I can just spin everything down and then I'm just kind of, whatever, it's just the, the you know, the compute, you know, some of the, some of those costs go away at a certain time of the day, but it, it, still, it still feels very expensive right now, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, certainly if you're doing everything that way. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of why I sort of wanted to explore it, really. Um, so changing changing tack uh, significantly here. One of the things I also wanted to talk about with you guys is, um, you know, there's been an awful lot of developments in the wider film industry, not so much VFX specific, but in the in the industry at large about you know, not an awful lot of talk about diversity over the last few years, whether that's, you know, in whatever sense. Um, one of the things that I really like about Blue Bolt, and we've already heard, you know, the sort of early history of the company is that it's a, you know, it's two female execs, essentially, um, you know, one commercial, one creative that, that run, you know, founded and run the business, which is quite, I think, quite unusual. Um, I mean, Lucy, do you, I mean, obviously, you know, you do what you just do what you do. I'm not I'm sure you weren't sitting around, you know, 10, 11 years ago, you know, thinking about diversity. You were thinking about how can I set up my business and do what we want to do. But, you know, is that something that you think about? Does it does it factor into how you recruit or, you know, do you have considerations in that direction, you know, in terms of the sort of female representation that you have? Not at all, to be honest. It's it for me, it's um Angela was always going to be uh, the number one business partner. We, we always had a very, very good working relationship at, at um, MPC. We sort of became pretty impenetrable once we'd gone through the first two or three years. And <laughs> we're, we're very, very good at bouncing ideas off each other. And I think we're very lucky that 
to, I think to set up any anybody who sets up a visual effects company and does it on their own, I really, really feel for them because I don't think one person will always have the right way and the right solution. And I think it's always good to hear another another person's opinion. And we we I don't think we could be where we are now had it had it just been you know one or other of us doing it on our own. But I don't I don't get all this you know you know women you know versus men and everything. I think it's the right person for the for the job and I think sure. I have got some of the most incredible men that work at Blue Bolt and um, we wouldn't be who we are without them. We've also got in very, very good um, a female management team around us. Um, but I mean, some of my producers who are men are just absolutely brilliant. So I th I'm not a great believer in, you know, your, your gender identifies, you know, who, who you are and what you do. I just think we've been very lucky that we've had a really good mix, and we do we do have a lot of women at Blue Bot, but it's not because they're women; it's because they're good at their job. They just happen to be the best person for the job, and you've hired them for that reason. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do you find? I mean, George, it's not. It's not. Women aren't terribly well represented in your strand of the business, are they? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't come across that many sort of sysadmin um, females and engineers. I mean, is that something? that we think might change as accessibility mm. to technology, you know, diversifies and things like that? I think, I think in software development, there's a better representation, but mm. you're right. I mean, I, I think I know one female system engineer in, in the whole industry. Yeah. Um, uh, the, this, I don't, I don't know whether how representative, I imagine that, I, I don't know how representative that is of other industries where, where they have engineering teams, you know, but, um, for sure it's um yeah it's definitely my entire career has been sort of in team teams of teams of guys mainly yeah um but uh i think as far as diversity um i think we've we've had one or two probably just one one uh person who wasn't a guy who who joined uh, our pipeline team but we we'll, as far as diversity goes we've got a really great mix of people from different parts of the world uh, that's something i really value at blue bolt yeah. is that we have a uh, that london effect of just i think i think there's it's an international workforce yeah <clears throat> it's there's two people in my team who are english and everyone else is from somewhere else like yeah. and drastically from somewhere else you know and I, I, lo I love that because i don't get to travel as much as i would like to um these days and it's because you're always working george think, that's why just you know well you know i mean i think visual effects is demanding i think blue bolt is a, is, a, is a good place in terms of trying to get you out of the door at six in the evening which is yeah. which is remarkably different to a lot of places uh yeah. as i was saying so we you know but it's still a lot it's still, it's still a lot of hours where you spend at work and so i think if you can work with interesting people um i think that's that's really invaluable and i think that that really makes makes for uh, better environment to be working with and that's across across our teams i would say yeah yeah no I, I mean it's a bit of a leading question i mean and you know apologies for taking things in a slightly sort of guardian readership direction there but it was just it, it, it seemed an interesting question to pose given that you know you know blue Bolt has a, a female executive which is, isn't that common even in visual effects which i think is re relatively um you know relatively uh diverse in some respects but um I mean, so, Lucy and Angela, if I may, did win a, an award last year from a Women in Business. There was a big event where they had won. Um, that was really sort of a, a, not a small event at all. That was a huge event. Well, there we go. See, that, that, now, now that's come out. Now I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and uh, so that you won that last year, did you? Um, we won the uh, Business Achievement Award at Women in Film, um, which, right. which was a huge, huge um, compliment. Um, and I was lucky enough, because I was available, Angela wasn't, to be on the judging panel for uh, the same award this year. And when I saw what you had to go through to actually even get to be um, one of the final, you know, one of the nominees, uh, it, it's amazing that we got there, to be honest. They go through your books, they go through the amount of people you employ, they go through, you know, again, the gender the gender balance, and they look at your growth over the, I mean, they completely go into it. So anyone who does win that award, it's not just, oh, they're a great company, let's give them an award. They have to have, literally have reached very specific goals. And were you aware that you'd even been nominated for it? I mean, how 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 did that even come up when when no, you? No, we literally just got a, a phone call saying you've won, and we went, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> we both freaked out, kind of going, "Oh god, what are we going to say?" And then um, you know, we we sort of tried to work out what to say. And Angela hates public speaking, and um, I have to do quite a lot of it. So I said, "I'll start off, and you finish off." And then we tried to make it as light and jokey as possible. But you're in front of a thousand industry people, of which a lot are your colleagues, and and it was just it's it's a it's it was a, it was a real um privilege to have been you know to win that great yeah well that's yeah so there is a i mean it's sort of unintentional isn't it exactly as you say it's not like you you don't walk around you know thinking about you know diversity in capital letters as you yeah. as you go about your daily business but it's nice that you know that's rewarded in the way that it has been um so if we sort of move towards wrapping up then what's what's next for blue bolt um incredibly busy uh we are turning down so much work at the moment because uh we, we also just want to be quite careful we want to see what's going to happen um and that's what's so nice about blue bottle is because we we own it we don't have to answer to any shareholders and we don't have to hit certain targets we know you know we know if we're in a good place or if we need to take something on but i think what we need for us we need to um let the world settle down and we'll settle down with it. We're going to then obviously have be running in two locations. Um, I think we'd like to start doing a little bit more punchier 3D. And I'm not saying we want to go and, you know, do massive creature work or anything, but I know it excites the artists. Um, we're desperate to do sci-fi um, and we're very, very close to, to, to getting a sci-fi project, which we sadly had to sort of pull out of the running because we just had too much work going on. Um, so there's still certain areas we want to tap into. Um, you know, I know Angela is supervising at the moment, but she would like to step back and be more of a creative director. So I think, you know, we, we need to find some more really good supervisors in order to help us grow a bit more. But we've just done it all so organically that, you know, we don't want to rule the world. We never want to be one of the biggest places in town. We just want to keep a good, solid reputation and keep it as a sort of family feel. We don't want to kill our artists. We want to make sure that it's a job and it's not, you know, it's not a ball and chain around your neck having to work with us. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you think that the, um, you know, you, th you think that the proliferation of, um, of kind of, you know, television, long form, feature rich, you know, VFX feature rich kind of work, the Netflix stuff, the, the streaming services stuff, do you think that's, that's just gonna continue? in terms of constituting a, a good chunk of the work that you're going to do over the next few years? You know, it's what we're good at and it's what we've got a proven track record in. You know, things, you know, going off, off piece and starting to do anything like, you know, a virtual reality ride or anything like none of that really fires us up. We, we're not interested in it. Um, I think there are other companies that do it far better than we ever could. It's not something that is in our remit. And we kind of think whilst the industry is so busy, let's just grow a little bit, 
in 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 the scope of work that we do not necessarily in size um and just yeah i i kind of just think we're going to just go as slowly as we have to this date and you know we've probably grown you know between 10 and 20 percent every year but there comes a point where you just think actually it's enough we don't need to be you know another 500 strong visual effects facility there are other people out there doing that so uh, we're happy where we are yeah and actually there's 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 a there's an agility that comes with that isn't there i mean i think without mentioning any names there are some larger facilities that we know have struggled um throughout the last four or five months um partly through covid or partly because covid has accelerated other structural issues that those businesses might have had and it's it's those things are very there's a scale at which it becomes quite difficult to manage yeah. isn't there exactly. you know, which you don't have to contend with um well look i think that's probably all we have time for thank you for listening to that episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did so don't forget to like follow and subscribe and if you're interested in any of the technology or any of the content we described there feel free to get in touch with us um, using the email in the description below